Good morning, Calvary. How are you? Good morning to those live streaming in and those who are listening later through podcasts. Welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. May your team win tonight as long as it's the Kansas City Chiefs. We are excited about it. Some of you are excited about that. Some of you are like a little, you need to work on your joy. So we're doing a series on joy, and people will go, why are we doing a series on joy? Well, you may not realize this, but we go away, and we plan our series like six months out, and we do that twice a year. And we sat there, and as we were planning, we thought we had two thoughts. One, we get to practice whatever we are preaching, and it just always works that way. And second, it's like February, and we're like, we need joy. We live in Indiana, right? But as we're doing this, and as we're preparing the message, I came to the realization that this series, getting to walk through joy, means I actually have to sometimes figure out how to have joy when I don't want to, right? So let me explain it like this. This last week, I, I was uh, in my car, and, and a, a young girl ran into it. It's fine. Everything's fine. But as I got out of the car, I remember thinking, I was just working on a series on joy, and now I have to find joy when I don't really want to right now, right? Have you ever been there? Been to a place where you're like trying to find joy, but the circumstances are bad? And, and maybe we don't know how to find joy because this is one of those words that the world defines very different than we as the church do. As followers of Jesus, we should have a different definition of joy. As followers of Jesus, we should definitely have a different definition of joy. So the Merriam-Webster definition of joy is, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the process, pos prospect of possessing what one desires. Wow, that's fickle. Have you realized that? Because sometimes, let me, let me put it to you like this. Somebody tonight is going to win the Super Bowl, and their fan base and those people are going to be elated. And they're going to go, we are the champions of the world. And they're going to go tomorrow expecting the headlines to be Kansas City Chiefs dominate the San Francisco 49ers, right? And then right below that is going to be the next thing that says, what are the odds for next year's Super Bowl champs? That quick. Because earthly joy, what we chase after, what we long to possess is fleeting. So what's the biblical definition of joy? Well, let's start with the, the, the word study. Joy in the New Testament usually, virtually always, is used to signify a feeling of happiness that is based on spiritual realities and independent of what happens. Joy is the inner gladness, a deep-seated pleasure. It is a depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart. I could go through that word by word, and we could just call that our series. But let me actually give you a different definition, and this one's by Rick Warren, and this is the one we're going to camp on for this month. Rick Warren says, The joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. Amen. We like that one, right? The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. Woohoo! This is exciting. What's that last part? And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Let's ignore that one. Is that how we like to practice it? God, tell me everything's going to be all right. I want to know that you're in control. I don't want to have to walk through the mess of life. 
So over the next few weeks, I want us to really dive into joy, and I'm going to give you a little spoiler. Today is going to be like, this seems like the worst series opening on joy ever imaginable, because we're going to have to get a little uh, difficult before we get better, okay? But the reason that we're walking through this is this idea that overflowing joy, that when we are walking in the presence of God, overflowing joy attacks fear, decimates anxiety, provides security, gives us strength, gives us proper perspective and meaning. Does that sound good? Does anybody, does that sound good to anybody? It's like, you're like, I don't know. Is this a trick question? (laughs) This is not a bait and switch, okay? But I want you to see where this starts From the very beginning is understanding that joy starts in understanding what God has done for you. So today we're talking about the joy of our salvation. In order to really have joy, you have to recognize what you are being saved from. And this is hard because if we walk with the presence of God, we would like our life to be always great, right? I mean, we're sitting here going, man, I I can't wait for the spring to come and everything's going to, we want to look with our future with optimism and hope and and, and know that we're going to have joy, right? Joy is not conditional to our circumstances. Joy is the manifestation of what God is doing in our life. And you need and I need to understand that one of the biggest hindrances we have for joy is us. It's our sin. Because sin robs you of walking and staying in the presence of God. Sin uh, stifles the Holy Spirit nurturing in your life. And, and so we need to walk through our sin in order to get to joy. Now, are y'all ready for this? Buckle up. It's going to be fun. So there's no seatbelt in here. It's, you know, it's just an illustration. And as we walk through this today, let's unpack this and see what this looks like. So I want you to imagine in your life, Imagine the moment of your life that you know that you made the biggest mistake of your life. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you share it right now. But it's the mistake that maybe nobody else in this room even knows existed. And some of you are like, Daniel, why are you doing this? Why are you trying to wound me and stab me? It feels like this is not fun. Because what we want is we want to be able to, old school, walk down the aisle, grab the preacher's hand and say, I'm so sorry I did this. Forgive me and treat me like a person who actually has the authority to forgive you, which I do not. And then I come into the place where you walk out and you feel totally great, right? But have you ever noticed that the darkest stuff that you do seldom is fixed that quickly? Have you ever realized that maybe you haven't tackled the darkest stuff in your life because you know what's coming next won't be fun? But let me challenge you, if you don't tackle those dark things of your life, you will never experience the joy of being saved from them. And you will miss out on the joy of what God intended what is best for your life. So, there was a man in the Bible named David. We're going to be looking in Psalms 51. And he wrote Psalms 51, and we like to talk about Psalms 51, but Psalms 51 doesn't actually begin in Psalms 51. It actually begins with the story found in 2 Samuel. And the story in 2 Samuel is David is a king, and he owns a lot of, lot of things. And over the course of events, he makes bad decision after bad decision after bad decision that ultimately leads to him not being where he's supposed to be, which leads him to have an affair, which leads him to murder. 
And I like this story because I don't think there's too many murderers in this room. So if God can still love David, then maybe he can look into your life and love you, right? And over the course of the events, David thinks he's gotten away with it, except there's this prophet by the man by the name of Nathan who comes and talks to David. And he says, hey, David, let me give you a hypothetical situation. Oh, I love hypothetical situations, right? You realize most hypothetical situations are based in reality, okay? So he says, imagine this man owns all these animals. And there's another man who only owns like one. And the man who owns all the animals uses his power and authority to go take the one from the other man. What would you do? And David's livid. Bring that man before me. If he's real, he should be killed. And Nathan looks at him and he goes, <laughs> that's you. Busted. And in that moment when he was found to be guilty, I don't think his reaction was joy. Right? That's the reason Chris is the worship pastor here, not me. <laughs> In that moment, he's not sitting there going, I'm so excited this was found out. But as he starts to walk through this, 2 Samuel 12, 13 14 says this, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin, and you will not die. Was that all there is to it? Actually, there's more to that story in 2 Samuel, which we may or may not come to back in the few weeks, but if you want to go back and read it, 2 Samuel 12, you're going to find that it's not an easy story. But when we look back in Psalms 51, what you're going to see is the journey of walking through the mess that David has made, made for himself and giving it over to God. Psalms 51, that's the background. So I want you to walk through the journey of the joy of our salvation. Psalms 51, 1 through 12 says this, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful Lord, love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Can you hear him pinning that? Can you hear him saying that to God in the middle of all that? Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. He just couldn't escape it. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight, so you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. In other words, help me to have the wisdom to walk with the last series. Was like, my joy is going to come when I walk in your presence and that sin is stifling me from that. Finally, verse 12, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. You see, the joy of our salvation is best understood in the light of what we are being saved from. And I want you to see this morning that our salvation requires a healing process. A healing process. 
that's not what I want. I want a fast food world. Like, I order my Mickey D's, and it comes to me, and then when it's messed up, I take it back, and I get it right, right? I, 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 want, I want this to go quickly. We live in that, that mentality, but it's a healing process. Do you realize when your body has a wound, what ends up happening there is there's an open wound, and you have to stop the pressure, and then what happens? A scab forms, and then after the scab forms, new skin grows, and you're healed. But there's very rarely a time when somebody can be like, oh, I've been stabbed. Oh, it's healed. Got to heal it. And we have to walk through the process of that. It's okay to laugh. Sometimes I'm funny, sometimes I'm not. It's okay to laugh at me if you don't want to laugh with me. That's fine too. Emily's been doing that for years. So step one, I want us to see the four C's. I'm going to go old school on this. The four C's of walking us through the healing process. The first step and healing requires contrition. Contrition. And some of you are like, Daniel, you really stretched to make the four C's start with contrition. And no, I actually started with the word contrition, and here's why. I don't think we understand what it really means. And I don't think there's another English word that adequately describes what contrition is. And so I would encourage you to teach your little kids, those of you who have little kids, what contrition is, because I think it's going to really help you in the forgiveness process. So contrition defined is this, because I'm sure all of you know exactly what contrition means. Here's what it is. It's the state of feeling remorseful and penitent. The state of feeling remorseful. You ever try to get your kid to confess before, like, they did anything? Before they realize it's bad? Now, contrition is also very different than guilt. Guilt is, oh man, I'm guilty. Forgive me. Move on. You caught me. Contrition is actually the place of feeling, dare I say, despondent. Like, have you ever been so upset at yourself you can't eat? So upset at yourself, it almost feels like you have the flu. That's what David's describing there. The, like the, his bones were aching. Look with me in Psalms 51, 1 through 3. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me for sin before I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. God, I, I see it. I see the, the damage and I am feeling bad. And sometimes we sit there and go, I don't think I want to feel bad, right? So we don't tackle the hard stuff. I don't, I don't want to have... You know flu shots sting for a moment, right? But they're actually designed to help you in the long run. And why does God allow you to feel pain as the first step of the healing process? You, you feel the pain so you can give it the attention necessary. Imagine if your arm was just like cut off and you didn't know it because you didn't feel any pain. Like walking around, everyone's like, hey, you're missing your arm. I didn't know that I was missing my arm, right? Or, or someone stabbed you in the side and you just were, and some of you are like, Daniel, this is being really gory. But you get the point. It's like you're stabbed in the side and you're like, oh, oh I don't feel a thing. No, you, you feel the pain because it's God's way of getting your attention. Hey, there's got to be healing that takes place here. And the pain that we feel feel is the natural beginning step to say something needs to be done to give this attention so that the healing process can happen. 
But I don't know that we've always done a good job to say that the pain is healthy. The second step, though, after contrition comes confession. We're going to go back to the verse 3 again. It says, For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Real quick note on verse 5. Um, verse 5 is fought over and argued over different theologies, different beliefs, different denominations. But here's what I believe it means. It's referring to the idea that the Jewish people believed the fact that the moment a child was conceived, he was destined to have a sin in his life. In other words, you can't escape the sin culture. Beyond that, we're not going to have that conversation today, okay? Because it's just too, mm. if 50% of the people, 50%, we're not going to do that. But the main point of that passage is this sin in this world is so deep and wide that you and I know that we have sin. And as we have sin, we need to be conscious of our sin. In other words, it's not their fault. It's not, it's not that your spouse's fault. It's not the neighbor's dog that kept you up at three in the morning's fault for you being in a bad mood today, right? That stupid dog hadn't kept me awake or... It's, it's not anybody's fault. You are in control, as we talked about the last series, in the reins of your emotions. And in the reins of your emotions, you are also in control of your sins, your actions, your control. And if you sin, that's not on your mama or your spouse or the government. It's on you. And so after contrition, when you start recognizing, I feel bad about this, then you're able to come to the place where you confess, God, I have done this. And confession says, how you know that you're ready for confession is, it says, so you are right when you pass sentence, and you are blameless when you judge. You know, when people come to me and they go, I know I was wrong, but you're not ready for confession. Because the but is always, here's why I did it. Here's my excuse. I know I was wrong, period. And I'm willing to accept the consequences of my action. Now, here again we go. This is why a lot of times we don't tackle the dark things. Because when we allow the light to penetrate into the darkness, we know that that darkness may not only affect us, but may affect, affect other people like throwing a rock into a lake, the ripples of our sin go out. But in order to have the joy, you have to actually bring it to God because it will eventually come to light, I guarantee you, either in this life or the next life. It's going to come to light, and people are going to find out. And so if you aren't willing to tackle that, you're never going to have the joy that God intended for you because you're hindering the power of what the Spirit wants to do in your life and you're hindering the presence of God speaking into your life and giving you the wisdom you deserve. So can we today confess before God the areas of our life we need to give to Him? And then let's let the scab start to grow right? Let's let the scab start to grow. So as you've done this, the third step of healing requires cleansing. Psalms 51, 6 through 7 says, surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach wisdom deep within. Hello, last series. 
Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. This is the part we start going, okay, that last few points were like really depressing, and this is supposed to be a series on joy, and Daniel, right now I don't feel very joyful. I'm actually feeling like I'm struggling. What I would say is this is the part where we go, purify me with hyssop, God, make me clean. What does it mean to make clean? Well, we like the idea of snow, right? Have you ever, some of you are like shaking your heads, no, I get it. In theory, we like the beauty of snow. Can we at least 90% of the room agree to that, right? We like the beauty of snow. It's like white and beautiful and it's untainted and I, I don't like it when people walk in it. I just want it to be like a smooth blanket that no one's bothering because I'm inside in the house in a nice warm fire, right? But a strange thing happens when I drive through snow in my car. It leaves a funny look on my car and I get it. It's not just the snow because the chemicals that we put on the ground and all that stuff makes the, it look really, makes your car look bad, right? Have you ever noticed that that's how we are is we take pure white snow and then we throw our junk in it and we sit there and you go get clean once white stuff is no longer completely white you will never make it white again right so then how do we made clean he says purify me with hyssop i've heard a lot of ser sermons in this and the the idea of hyssop um found in leviticus is those that had leprosy. Now, leprosy, for those of you who don't know, was a disease that marked you for life, and you were ostracized. You weren't allowed to ever come back in. It was highly contagious. There were leper islands. There still is one somewhere in this world. And if you have leprosy, basically, it was really, really bad. It was living with a death sentence. And so if you had leprosy and you were cleansed, one of the things they would do is they would purify you with a hyssop branch. And that was like a branch, and people talk about the medicinal values and how great God is with this stuff, and, and yes. But do you know there's more to that story than that? You see, the instructions to purify people with leprosy, with hyssop, comes from Leviticus. But there's actually a place before Leviticus, not only in the Bible, found in the Bible, but chronologically in the Bible, that's found in Exodus. The first time that we find the word hyssop is actually found in, let me find it, because I forgot the where it is right now, Exodus 22. And some of you are like, Exodus 22, what's in Exodus 22? This is the place where God has told Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, because God's people were in bondage. They were enslaved. And Pharaoh's look like, why do I want to let these people go? There's my workforce. No. So God sends Moses to go to him and say, you better let us go or God's going to show you how he is God and you don't worship the real God. And he starts sending plague after plague and Pharaoh goes, nope, 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 until the last plague comes. And the last plague comes, God tells Moses, go to all the people of Israel. And what's going to happen is the oldest born son of every household is going to die. Unless... You at twilight go gather your people and they go kill a sacrificial lamb and then they take a hyssop branch and dip it in that blood and sprinkle it over the doorposts of the house. Then the angel will pass over knowing that you are with me and you will be saved by the blood of the lamb. I don't know if I got goosebumps right there. 
Do you, do you see it? I, I don't know how people can think that somebody just made up this Bible because it's just way too cool. I mean, it's so intricate. So the, the Leviticus passage is saying we are practicing the purification that, that God did by leading his people through the exodus after the exile. And it, the cool part of the doorpost, some people have said that the doorpost could be symbolic of the cross that Jesus was on and that where they would have put the blood would have been very close to where his arms were and where the nails were pierced through. I don't know if that's going too far, full disclosure, or if it's just a really cool illustration. Everybody loves really cool illustrations. But it may be going too far, but I love the symbolism of that. Since the beginning of time, God has been working out his exodus plan, his plan to bring you out of the slavery, out of the bondage you've been in. But are you going to be obedient to follow that? Are you going to allow what his, he has done through sacrificing himself on the cross? The Easter story is every week. Amen? And as we look, what Jesus died for you, he created a way so that when the enemy, the angel of death, comes over your life, he's going to skip over you because you are covered by what Jesus has done on the cross, the blood of the Lamb. And the hyssop branch is like, God, cleanse me, purify me, make me one that, that death no longer has a rule over me. Death no longer has reign. The enemy is defeated. Now, when you look at the dark shadows of your life and you expose it to the light, I don't think the people were like, boy, this is awesome. We get to go kill a lamb and, and put blood over our doorposts and then we're going to go wander through the wilderness forever and then go, Ooh, you know, because it was still a journey. Do you know why it was still a journey? Because contrary to popular demand, I want to bring it to the modern day world, West Lafayette, Indiana is not the ultimate promised land. Neither is the greater Lafayette area or Indiana or United States or any country in the world. The promised land is the life that is to come. So when we're asking God to cleanse us in the dark part of our life, we know that there's still a journey ahead. And we are to have joy when God gives us the manna and the quail in the wilderness. For those of you who don't know that story, it's in Exodus. That's, they went through a long time of having God provide for them, and they were like, bread and meat again that they didn't have to work for? Oh. Now have joy because you have been delivered. So are you willing to allow the scab to do its work? To allow him to cleanse you, to stop the bleeding? God, cleanse me is the equivalent to a scab. But the scab will fall off. And I promise I'm not trying to be this gory. But here's the next step, slide four, slide four. That's my internal notes. The final step of healing leading to our joy in salvation is when we realize that God has created something new in us. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Why? Because the journey's still a ways to go. 
Do not banish me from your presence. Why? Because I need it, because it's going to be difficult. Or take your Holy Spirit from me, but rather restore the joy of your salvation. Remind me what you saved me from. Restore the joy to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. The joy comes in not only being made clean, but the fact that God is still creating. You see, God didn't, uh, however many years ago, say, boom, there's the earth. He didn't sit there and go, hope they figure it out. Like God's looking down on an ant farm. No, God is still in the creating business. You know how I know this? Uh, let's go back to the science illustration for just a moment. You know what's happening when you have a scab? God isn't looking around for the old skin so that he can glue it back on. Ooh, that's gross. No, what he's doing is he's allowing those new cells to regenerate and create something new so that the old is gone. But new will exist. And when the new comes, the scab will fall off. Sure, there may be a scar. We all have scars. But there is something new in its place. I think that we don't really understand what it means to walk in the restoration journey of allowing the presence of God to give us joy because we don't ever walk through the process of being healed long enough to rejoice in the fact that we are made new. So, that when you're struggling with whatever you're struggling with, you're struggling with the addiction, if you're struggling with the fear, the anger, the anxiety, God doesn't look there and sit there and go, oh, I'm going to bandage this together. No, he looks down and he dives down and he begins to create a different you. Do you want to be healed? Son, daughter, God is not done creating in you. Let him. And for those in this room who've never received Jesus, I will say, if you don't really want to walk in the presence of God, then you will never understand joy as we describe it today. Because everything else is fleeting. But when you walk in the presence of God, joy is abundant and ready. But to find joy, you have to sometimes go on the journey of letting go and giving it to God. So if you've never had a relationship with Jesus, I want you to realize he died for you. His blood was shed for you. And just like it did through the Exodus story, the blood on the doorpost was reestablished through the blood of the cross, through the person who lived a perfect life so that anyone who has a relationship with him can live with him forever and walk in that joy. If you don't understand that, we'd love to talk to you about that in the next step space. Because... That's what we're about, joy. For those in this room who have a relationship with Jesus, here's our daily training. Identify one area of your life you are not giving over completely to God. And commit to walk through the process of healing with Him leading to restorative joy. Identify one area of your life. Say, Daniel, I don't really have an area of my life. Well, let me start with humility then. Because if you ask God to show you one area of your life that you need to wrestle with, he's going to show you. Say, when does that end? Next life. But the more you give over to God, the more joy you will find. 
the more you allow him to heal you and not just learn to live with it, the more you will find joy. But yeah, as you're going to see later on, David's story ends up having consequences, and it may get difficult, and that's where you're going to have to have trust. But God can give you joy in whatever the circumstances, even as the things that are stinky become exposed. Right? You trust Him by going through that. Have the hard conversation. When was the last time you were broken before God? When was the last time you were broken? Okay, I didn't do this last service. Can we throw the words up for the first song, just to, when you get a chance? I want to, this next song just really sets up so well, and I, and I, I just love how this works. Um, and I would say what the songs are, but I don't know. But here's the, the words of the song. Can't go back to the beginning. I can't control what tomorrow, I can't go back and, and not do what I did. Next slide. But I know you are here in the middle, and is this place where you promised to be? And one more. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Wow. I literally have goosebumps. That is the gospel story. Would you sing that song? Make that your prayer. Oh, I can't go back, but God heal me. I'm not enough, but you are. So meet me here. And let him change you. God, I thank you for what you're going to do and are doing through us. Would you guard us? Would you break us? Would you make us strong as we follow you? We are thankful for who you are and what you're doing. May you receive all the glory, the honor, and praise. Meet us here again. Amen.